0: Well, I want to welcome you again. Thank you for being here, church. Um, good. Let's let's get a hearty good morning. Good morning, church. Oh, that feels so good. Well, well, welcome to 2020. Isn't that weird to say? It's like this is the, the we're getting into those years where when I was a kid, these were the the years that the the like the robots were going to start taking over in the sci-fi movies. So that's kind of weird to be alive at this time but I I, I, I want to reintroduce myself my name is Tim Power one of the pastors here at Salem want to thank you for being here in worship with us in this new year I hope you were able to get a little bit of time uh, to rest and relax over the Christmas break and over the New Year's time at our house we are coming off of two weeks at home if you've if you've got kids school age kids you know this Mike I We've got three young boys who have been in pajamas since uh, December 20th. (laughs) So, um, welcome to 2020 again. We are kicking off the new year with a new sermon series called Hindsight in 2020. Now, oftentimes we start off the year with a sermon series about goals, about starting new habits. We wanted to change things up a little bit and talk about what we can learn about reflecting on our past, What we can learn about reflecting on our past. Now, I want to be very clear about the purpose of this series. It is not about beating yourself up about what you did or didn't do in the last year or in the last decade. I think that we can actually learn, and the scripture teaches us this, that our past does not define us. Your past doesn't define you, but it should inform you. I'll say that again. Your past should not define you, but it should inform you. Even those things that we might think of as our failures, as the things we didn't get quite right, they can actually help us to grow into being the people that God has created us to be. I I heard this really interesting quote uh, from Michael Jordan. Does anybody remember Michael Jordan? He was apparently a great athlete. So uh, Michael Jordan said this. Um, famous basketball player, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost more than 300 games, 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. So while we shouldn't let our regrets from our past, our failures from the past define us, we should let them inform us We should let them educate us to grow and to be the people that God is actually calling us to be. Now, today I'm going to start off with a message, and it might not be a message for everybody. Today, we're going to talk about specifically, and this is just geared towards the people in this room, who have trouble getting past their past. Now, if you're in this room today and you have no problem getting past your past, We're glad you're here, Jesus. But for the rest of us, we sometimes have this issue getting past certain aspects of our history, certain parts of our history that that we struggle with. Now, Now, here's a big idea I want us all to get from today. That if you don't let your past die, it won't let you live. That if you don't let your past die, it won't let you live. Now again, we're we're not talking about throwing it all out, but some of us can really, really get strangled up by the things we've done, the things we haven't done, or maybe the things that have been done to us that hold us back from the future. Now a few years ago, I went, I needed to pick up some furniture from my father-in-law's house. Now. I couldn't pick it all up in my VW Jetta, so I I borrowed a big old pickup truck from my brother. Now, you probably look at me and you think, wow, I'll bet Tim is great at operating heavy machinery. I know I kind of give off that masculinity vibe, but you'd be wrong. I should never have been trusted with that truck, okay? And you'll see why in just a second. So I'm there to pick up some furniture from the garage, so I figured it'd be best if I back into the driveway. So, so I turn onto the street, I pass up the driveway so that I can put it in reverse and get backed into the driveway. The strangest thing happened, in the time that I put it into reverse, someone moved the mailbox. <laughs> right behind my car. Like, who would have done that, right? Anyway, so I'm backing up and and I hear this crazy sound. It's like a crunch and then then kind of this metallic squeal. And and my first thought is I've hit some kind of wild animal. And my second thought is, gosh, I, I better put it out of its misery because that would be the right thing to do. So I gun the gas. And and I hear the same crunch, squeal sound again. I'll get to the end here real quick. Um It was not an animal. I found out later that I had destroyed my father-in-law's mailbox. Okay? Now, I was so mad at myself. The only person who was more mad at me was my father-in-law. Now, I looked at him and I said, Tom, this is all my fault. And he looked at me and said, Tim, this is all your fault. And I I looked at him and I said, Tom, I'm going to pay for this. And he said, Tim, you're going to pay for this. So, so... I go to Home Depot, I buy a brand new mailbox, and I get out my tools. Actually, that's a lie, because I didn't have any tools. I had to go to my father-in-law and ask him to borrow his tools to fix his mailbox that I had just knocked down. Now, at this point in the story, you probably figured out, Tim's really bad at backing up pickup trucks. You'd be right about that. Uh, There's actually only one thing I'm worse at, and that's installing new mailboxes. Okay, so... I I've read that a mailbox should stand up straight and and basically look straight out to the street. And that's not exactly what my mailbox looked at looked like when I installed it. Mine kind of kind of was a little bit curved and it kind of looked down and to the right. Kind of like like it was a shame to be a mailbox. That kind of thing. So anyway. From that day forward, anytime I wanted to borrow something from my father in law, he would look at me and say, Tim, remember the mailbox. And it became kind of this defining point in our past together that, that he would always point back to remember the mailbox. And every time I drove past that crooked, malformed mailbox, I was reminded of that day. And it, it, now, now that's kind of a silly story, but it's one thing that I look back that, that I wish I could have changed, that I wish something would have gone differently, and I'm sure that everybody in this room can think of something probably even more significant, probably even more deeply felt in their life, a time, maybe even a whole season in your life that you wish you could go back and change. Does anybody have a moment like that? Anybody have a season like that where you wish you could change what you did what you didn't do, or maybe you wish you could change something that was done to you. Now, in the Bible, there's this guy named Paul. Now, he's pretty important to the Christian story because he wrote most of our New Testament, most of our New Testament, much of our theology, what we believe about salvation, what we believe about grace, what we believe about Jesus and his coming and his purpose and being on this earth, we believe what we believe because of Paul and the letters he wrote to churches. Here's the thing, though. Paul was a guy with a past. Paul was a guy with a past. He was around right after Jesus um, died on the cross, and and as we believe, he was raised again to life and and ascended into heaven. Now, after all of that happened, the followers of Jesus started telling people about Jesus. Now, the the religious leaders at the time... uh, especially the religious leaders in Judaism, did not like this. And Paul was one of these religious leaders. He did not like this story of Jesus. He did not like this new movement that had popped up and was talking about Jesus and talking about uh, this new way. That's what they called themselves, the way. In fact, Paul didn't like it so much that he started persecuting these people. He started putting them in jail, even having them killed. And then one day, while... While he's traveling, Paul has this radical, life-changing encounter with God, where God actually appears to Paul, and, and everything changes. Everything changes in the life of Paul. And instead of persecuting the followers of Jesus, Paul starts following Jesus. Paul actually becomes a follower of Jesus and starts preaching the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Radical transformation. And he becomes probably the greatest missionary in all the history of our church. Now, I'm going to read this from Galatians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to one of the churches that, that, that he helped to establish. And he wrote this in Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 13 through 16 and then jump to another part in 22 through 24. Paul says this, You heard about my previous life in Judaism. How severely I harassed God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my peers because I was much more militant about the traditions of my ancestors. But God had set me apart from birth, called me through his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach about him to the Gentiles. But I wasn't known personally by the Christian churches in Judea. They only heard a report about me. The man who used to harass us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. They were glorifying God because of me. Now, I shared this, uh, if, if you were around on Christmas Eve, I, I shared two phrases that are really important to me, and I think that I'm going to share them many, many times over the year 2020. And I have people share it, say this to each other. I'm going to have you say this to each other again today. I want you to turn to somebody and say, God made you on purpose. You do not believe that. Now this one, say like you believe, God made you with a purpose. God made you on purpose. God made you with a purpose. And I think that's going to be a repeating theme in the sermons this year. And I think it is a powerful thing not only for you to say but for you to hear. For you to hear somebody else say. Because, you know, sometimes, here, here's the thing. Anybody else in this room ever struggle with doubt? Doubt. You guys are better than me. I sometimes struggle with doubt. I sometimes struggle with knowing my worth from God. But you know, one of the reasons that we're in a community, we're in a body of believers, is because sometimes when I'm weak, I can lean on you guys. Sometimes when I have trouble believing something, I need to hear it from your lips. Sometimes I need to hear you say, God made you on purpose, Sometimes I need to hear you say, God made you with a purpose. Now, what fascinates me about Paul's story is that Paul, here's the thing. God is all-knowing, right? God is all-powerful, and he could have chosen anybody, anybody to write the New Testament. He could have chosen the most flawless, the most faithful follower from the start to be his number one missionary. But no, he chose Paul. He chose somebody with a past, Anybody in here have a past? God chose somebody with a past. Somebody who, by all other measurements, probably should have been disqualified, right? Probably should have been disqualified, but God said, no, I'm choosing Paul. I'm choosing somebody with a past. And here's what I think is the powerful message we can learn from Paul. It's this. As followers of Christ, we are defined not by what we've done, but by what's been done for us. Let me say that again. As followers of Christ, we're not defined by what we've done, but by what's been done for us. By what Jesus came here to do. We just got through this time where we're celebrating Jesus coming as a child. That's just the beginning of that story. Because he grew up to be a man. And he came, was born on purpose, with a purpose, so that one day he could die for every sin that you've ever committed, for every sin that you're going to commit, so that your slate could be wiped clean That is the powerful message of Jesus Christ, that as followers of Christ, we're not defined by what we've done, but what's been done for us. And Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, I think this is really powerful. Now, if you ever read the book, there's there's two letters to the Corinthians. Now, here's the thing. The Corinthians were some of the most messed up people. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and he's writing to some of the most jacked up people in the most jacked up church. Now I wanna I wanna let you in on a secret. The church is still full of jacked up people. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, you're jacked up? Some of you really, really enjoy saying that to each other. Some of you are just continuing the conversation you had before you got here on the way to church. The church is still full of messed up people. And so when writing to the church in Corinth, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul has these powerful words. He says this, so then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away. And look, new things have arrived. The old things have gone away and new things have arrived. That means it can be a clean slate for everybody in this room. A clean slate for you. A clean slate for me. Now, I want to put a quick disclaimer here. Now, the big message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the message of grace. That is unmerited favor with God or undeserved favor with God. That means on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for our sins, my sins, your sins, all of our sins, everything bad you've ever done. Everything bad you're ever going to do, Jesus took that on. Now, when you're on the receiving end of that, that's good news, right? That's powerful news. Here's where grace can get a little bit messy. Here's where grace can get a little bit messy. When you've been badly hurt by somebody, when you've experienced some kind of trauma at the hands of somebody else, then you might think this wait a second, wait. Are they forgiven? Do they get a clean slate? Because I don't know if they deserve a clean slate. Because that's a pretty hard thing for some of us to think about. But, but here's the thing. The grace of Jesus Christ, yes, it is big enough to cover all sins. Here's the thing, though. The grace of God doesn't mean that our actions don't have consequences. I think that's important for some of us to hear. The grace of God doesn't mean our actions don't have consequences. God's forgiveness doesn't mean that a person that harmed you still deserves a place in your life. Perhaps that means the end of a relationship in some cases. God's forgiveness doesn't mean we don't face personal, in some cases even legal consequences because of our actions. But what it does mean is that in the end, We can all be a new creation in God's eyes. The forgiveness that Jesus offers us means new life. This new creation is available to anyone who seeks forgiveness from Christ. You are not defined by what you've done, but by what's been done for you. See, when God sees you, God doesn't see your past. Isn't that good news? God sees the finished work of Jesus Christ. He sees a cherished, beloved child of God. He sees a child that was made on purpose. He sees a child that was made with a purpose. A few months ago, um, in our house, we were visited by the plague. Okay? We've we've got three young boys and one would be down and then right when that one got better, another one would turn green and this is just a cycle that went over and over and it seemed like it lasted for months. And I remember one night, uh, my wife and I were in bed, middle of the night, all the lights are out and our peaceful sleep was broken by a sound something like this. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, I don't tend to run towards a sound like that. But my wife, her first instinct was to jump out of bed, to jump out of bed and to run towards that sound. She was up out of bed before I even had opened my eyes as she ran towards our boys' room. It was our youngest son. He was really, really sick. Now let me tell you what she did not do. Let me tell you what she did not do. She did not look at him and say, whoa, how gross. You're disgusting. She did not say, if you want my help, you better get cleaned up before I come in this room. She ran up to that child. She ran up to that sick child. She paid no attention to the mess. She picked up that boy out of the mess that he was in because that's what love does. And that's what the love of God looks like in all of our lives. God doesn't look at you and see the mess of the past that you're leaving behind. He picks you up out of it because that's what love does. You are not defined by what you've done, but by what's been done for you. And that's good news today. Now, maybe this is news to you. Maybe you've never heard that before. Or, or maybe it's something that maybe it, it sounds good in your head, but you've never felt like that's been something that you've made yours in your heart. You know, accepting that forgiveness from Jesus is a simple thing. And, and we're a people of prayer, And prayer is just talking to God. It's a real simple thing. And maybe today could be a day where if you're not a person of prayer, you could start being a person of prayer just by saying a simple prayer, which is that, God, I want to accept this free gift of forgiveness from you. I want to leave my past in the past so that I could be a new creation in you. So if you would, let's close our eyes together for a moment. You don't really have to have it figured out. You don't even have to have a theology figured out. But if you're in this place today and you want to leave your past behind, if you want a new life moving forward with a God who loves you, who made you on purpose, who made you with a purpose, I'm going to invite you just to say a simple prayer. I still say this prayer almost every day, and it's just this, Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord Jesus, come into my present circumstances. Lord Jesus, come. We pray this in your holy name, amen.